Well, hello everyone. Welcome to another episode of Real Talk with Real Leaders. And today the real leader I have with me is Pastor Barry Whistler. He is, uh, well, was a former pastor of Ephrata Community Church, as well as um, now he's an apostolic overseer over HarvestNet International, which is made up of a network of churches globally. And so it's so good to have you with us today, Pastor Barry. It's great to be here, Jamie. Now, I don't know how many times you get called Pastor Barry. Is it Pastor Barry? Yeah. This or that? You just kind of get used to it all, huh? Yeah, I just like Barry. Barry's good. Right. You just go with the flow. Well, I, I wanted to start with this. Just thinking about something that would be a fond memory of yours when you were growing up. Is there a fun, fond memory of, of just when you were growing up that you would describe as these were the good old days? Yeah, that's an interesting question when you uh, mentioned you asked that. I, I, I'll be, I will answer the question. I'll be honest. I don't necessarily look at the past as good old days. I never really, I, I tend to be, um, even as a child, I tend to look more towards the future. I like, I, I look at the future positively. Um, I think sometimes our memory is selective about the past. And so we pick good things and we call that the good old days. Uh, any rate, I, I had a, I had a good childhood. I grew up on a farm, um, Christian family and, uh, you know, farm life is exciting. A lot of interesting things. It's also a lot of hard work, but I enjoyed it. And then, uh, probably one fun memory is saying yes to Jesus when I was, I did it early, maybe at uh, 12 and then about 15, I had another sort of crisis of faith where I gave him a big yes. And uh, I would, it was a good memory because I knew I, I knew when I was doing it, it would change my life, and it did. I got involved in a um, leading two different youth Bible studies. This was during the time of the Jesus movement. You're too young to remember this, I know, but I mm -hmm. people got saved very quickly and fast, and the Bible studies grew. Uh, a lot of friends from school. One of one of them was in a public high school, and another one was in our home, and. Um, so that, 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 that was a lot of fun for a couple of years, and we started the church out of that uh, youth ministry. I also was mentored by a couple different leaders, one for about three years, just real basic discipleship, and then another one that mentored me. I was with him for, I guess, probably 15 years. And that was a good experience, too. I, I, I didn't know what I was doing when we started the church. And... Um, there really wasn't anybody locally that I could look to for any kind of help. And this guy was a, a pastor from New Jersey. And that was a, that was a good experience uh, in my early 20s, just having someone else to sort of lean on and ask questions. That's a great memory. I mean, I was going to ask you, like, what was the age range of all that? But you already said it was kind of early 20s. Or yeah, Cheryl, Cheryl and I got married. I met her, met her in a Bible, in the youth Bible study. We got married at 19. I think I turned 20 on our wedding trip. Two weeks after the wedding trip started the church. Not, not really recommended to do it like that, but it worked <laughs> out fine for us. And um, so that would have been for a couple of years. Uh, he, he mentored me. And then I, I, I remember another time when I, I realized that God was, using cities to give um, a place for to announce the kingdom. So I ended up coming to Philadelphia, there where you are, to the mm. Center of Urban Theological Studies. I spent maybe four years while I was farming, driving in there to classes. I was going to plant a church in Philadelphia. That was my plan. Wow. 
uh, we ended up with an outpouring of the spirit while I was finishing a master's degree then, and I ended up staying. But the plan was to come there. And uh, it was at Center for Urban Theological Studies in Huntington Park area. Yeah, where our church is in Huntington Park. And so right. you, would you remember Bill Crispin? He was the guy that I connected with, and Bill impacted my life tremendously. That's great. Uh, great guy. Are you still in contact with him? You know, uh, a couple times, he just he sent me something last year because uh, it was a, a church planting group, I think, that he was forming or something. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't make it to that meeting, and I, don't, I never heard if they meet regularly. I think that was the last that I exchanged with him email, but there was a few, a few leaders. I went to that school and then I ended up meeting some of the professors from Westminster and ended up doing a master's degree there. So Harvey Kahn and, uh, and Manny Ortiz were two other guys that I connected with there that were uh, really great spirit-filled missional guys. So my vision, not only for the church here, but for um, church planting came out of that seed. Wow, that is so much. I I feel like I've heard that, but it doesn't come to to me um, as you're saying it, and that's that's just neat. Well, for me in Philadelphia, one of my fond memories in growing up was uh, opposite of the farm. I was in the streets, and um, we would actually in those days, um, it was it was sort of safer to be able to run around the way we were up and down neighborhoods through alleyways on buildings and things like that. And we used to use the whole three block radius all around where we lived as a place where we would just play tag. And it was everywhere. It was kind of like uh, ultimate ninja warrior type of <laughs> experience for that. So those are fond memories of mine growing up here in Philadelphia. That's fun, having, having people to play with. I mean, on the farm, I, I had some cousins and some neighbor friends that I would play with, but nothing like it in a neighborhood community like what you had there. That sounds great. Right. Yeah, it was fun. Now, I want to get into there's just the idea of us as leaders and um, even in atmospheres and talk to you about the things that we do to condition ourselves to be able to make impact and be ready for whatever might come. So the first question I want to ask you is, how are you conditioning conditioning yourself as a spiritual leader to lead well in these times of anger, confusion, suspicion? It's really escalated um, as of recent, even more so. Um, so as a spiritual leader, uh, teach us and share with us a little bit of what that looks like for you. Yeah, that's a great question. Well, as, as leaders, we're not exempt from feeling those same things that everybody in the culture around us does. I mean, the anger, the confusion, all those things are there. Um, I've, I've felt like I, I've prayed for wisdom because uh, while I'm sorting through everything as everybody else does, a, a, everybody else is, a leader needs to sort of lead the way and, and uh, chart a course for the organization or the people that follow you. So praying for wisdom. The sons of Issachar doesn't say a lot about them in scripture, but they understood the time they lived in and they intuitively knew how to respond and what to say and what to do. And I think leaders need that. So I think just praying to God to have that kind of wisdom and listening. I think we need to keep our heads. Uh, um, I believe in the subjective and hearing the Holy Spirit and obeying, but I also believe that he gave us minds to think and we need to ask questions to understand 
what is happening and maybe why. It's easy to be pulled into narrative, particularly right now, political narratives and stuff like that. So I've, I've even limited my news a little bit more. I, I tried to stay, I, I love the news. I mean, I follow what's happening, not only here, but in other nations, but um, so many voices uh, telling us what to think and how to think that I, I think we actually have to do our own thinking. And uh, the news has become emotionally charged. I'm not sure that it's all healthy for us, the tension, the polarization and stuff that's there. Um, not saying either, either side of polarization is wrong, it's just the fact that it's happening is hard and there's a high level of stress. I think the COVID thing gave a lot of stress for people. And uh, of course, what's happening now racially and with riots and stuff is very, it's stressful whether you live in the, an area where it's happening or you're just experiencing it by watching it. But I think it's time to keep our um, keep our heads, do our own thinking, keep our hope elevated. I've always felt like hope is a thermostat for faith, and I think we need to have a strong faith right now and uh, maintaining hope, not throwing our confidence away, not giving in to fear. Fear is sort of the opposite of faith. And uh, I guess also being able to admit when we are fearful and anxious, I, 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 I think leaders as well as everybody right now, psychological health and spiritual health in terms of our faith is a little bit harder. It's a, it's a time of shaking and testing for sure. And uh, having people to lean on, yeah. people to talk to. I've had my perspective adjusted sometimes talking with people. Um, and I think we, I, I've realized how much we need each other uh, right now and you know being away from even even with the church we can't meet together in person I think it's it's shown me how much I actually do need the congregation of God's people to, to, to be with when we can and also have good good friends and leaders to talk to and stay in touch with isolation can be can be hard and maybe even dangerous a little bit yeah there was a thing I was listening to I believe it was Dr. Henry Cloud uh, and some others that were just talking about the psychological effects of not being able to be connected um, in times of social distancing. So how we, those who are most intentional with that, even it's, if it's through this form, through the phone or through whatever, um, their optimism level was a lot greater. Their hope level was a lot greater in yep. those connections and get, getting those perspectives um, than those who might be on these forms, but they're not doing anything substantially to connect while they're with each other. So that's real. I think we have to be, I've had to be a little bit more intentional uh, to connect with our partners. I mean, now I, I work in a local church and I'm, I'm an elder of the local church. So there we've just done a lot to connect with people more often during the week, keep some things that are familiar that help people so they don't feel that everything has changed all of a sudden. But internationally, I've used Zoom and phone calls just to talk to people. And um, people have responded well to just having someone saying, so how, how are things going and how are you doing and what's happening there? And um, I, think, I think it's a connection thing more than anything, just knowing that we have that connection. Yeah, that's good. You, you know, you were talking about limiting your consumption of 
news and media. I'm, a, I'm somewhat of a, I don't know, sci-fi geek. And so some of what I've seen in sci-fi and other movies is how they have tried to um, terraform, like change the landscape of the earth. And they were like, you know, brought all this destruction or whatever. I think it was one of the Superman movies and some other movies where they're trying to change kind of the, the atmosphere and the condition so that another life form can live there. Mm-hmm. So I'm just thinking about, as we're talking about conditioning ourselves, how if we're not careful, those narratives and those things that are coming from different places are seeds and are, are words that are looking to condition us yeah. to another reality and a ra- reality that's not helpful right. to specifically the believer who's looking to bring heaven here now. So right. if we're conditioned in that way, then we can begin to influence around us rather than being influenced and just kind of be f- formed according to the territory, the narrative of other people who might have um, evil agendas or just wrong agendas or just limited perspective in the whole scheme of things, scheme of things. I agree. And, you know, it's, there's so much happening. It's easy to be distracted from our main purpose for being here. And I, I, I love, I do keep in touch with the news. It's not like I don't watch it at all. Mm-hmm. But um, our main purpose, I believe, is to reach the lost, extend the kingdom. And I believe God's going to use what's happening right now. I don't like it. I think there's evil involved in it, but I think he's going to use it. And it's a time where I think leaders have to be maybe a little bit more intentional. I've actually upped my reading on leadership itself, on how to lead people. And um, it's just not a time to be passive and coast. It's a time to stay awake and watch what's happening. And then uh, it's, you can't, it's, very, it's sort of hard to plan because you don't know what the summer or the fall will be like. But I think we have to do the best we can with what we do know and gather. So it actually requires a little bit more thought than it did before. Yeah. And it's not like too far in the future, but it's like the next few steps. What can I do? Because there's a lot that might be out of my control, but these next couple of steps, here's what I can begin to do for myself personally so I can lead better and love better in these hard, challenging times. So, So with that, like what, talking about conditioning, what do you think goes into the conditioning of just having the right kind of atmosphere for revival and healthy change? And the reason why I want to ask you that, because I believe what um, you came into when you came into the kingdom, as you alluded to, was you came into a time of revival, um, a time in the Jesus people movement. That was revival. That was many people just coming in and being swept into the church in droves. And so if you experienced that, I'm sure there was a time where things began to um, sort of like decline a little bit for the purpose of sustaining or whatever else. But then you've seen growth and revival again in what you've been able to lead. And I'm, I'm interested in just hearing like what, are, what goes into that, just the conditioning, the right atmosphere for revival and healthy change, not just change, but healthy. Yeah, it's good. I, you know, when I, when I came into the movement, it, 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 it reached me and surprised me. I mean, I had no intentions or understanding of any of that. So, and I was, I was more of a follower in the beginning and then um, was brought into leadership by some other men. But now I'm in a position where I hope to be helping to facilitate and lead what's happening 
I felt like last summer uh, was actually the morning after I came back from the HIM conference in California. I was out in the yard and I really felt like God spoke to me strongly that I needed to humble myself. And I, you know, I didn't think of myself as being particularly arrogant. I mean, you, you don't know all what's in your heart sometimes, but I, I took it seriously. And I, you know, I began to, I began to think about harvest and, um, study the book of Joel, I believe, I believe there's going to be a, a 1 billion soul harvest. And I think that the, 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 the words there where it talks about multitudes, multitudes in the Valley of decision is where we are or are headed. So I, I just had to humble myself before God and realize that this is nothing I can bring, but I did want it to be sharp enough to be able to lead it. I found sometimes since then, since that August time and now that have been, that have been difficult. I think sometimes God um, prepares leaders for things by going through some hard times. And maybe I mean, there's probably leaders that have had an amazing time, you know, the last year. I, I didn't, but I still all the time have this confidence that God's doing something. And um, so humility, acknowledging God, um, I think that begins with leaders, and I think the whole church probably needs to get there. It's pretty basic stuff. Turning our focus on the lost and fulfilling the Great Commission, not being distracted. I want to stay engaged with the culture around me and all the events and everything, but at the same time, I can't, I can't drop the mission to just deal with all the stuff that's crowding for my attention. And um, to me, outpouring, revival, I love the work of the Holy Spirit. I'm a bit of a junkie uh, of his presence, but at the same time to me, Acts 1 to 8 makes it very clear the purpose of it is so that we could be witnesses, uh, whether it's in our neighborhoods, our regions, or you know the ends of the earth. But I think right now we have to keep our eyes on that, and there's a lot of things that Christians can be drawn into in discussions and disputes and uh, that are distractions from that that one mission. I think change comes when people are sick and tired of the way things are. We have to, we have to become um, unhappy with the status quo, and you know the the racial things that's happening right that right now. That's what needs to happen is that we have to get uh, sort of sick and tired of tolerating the racism that that our nation has. Dissatisfaction and desperation can cause people to go to God. I'm hoping that's what happens with, with our nation, but I think the church and certainly leaders uh, need to begin there. It's pretty basic stuff really, but I think it's important. No, this is great. I mean, uh, humility is on my top, um, on the top of what I believe needs to be on that list of conditioning the right atmosphere for revival. Um, I, I, I break it down to like humility, honor and hunger. And I think um, those those three in tandem and at the same time have the ability to really produce the things. Because if we're dishonoring people, it was just things that got lifted when right. there was a dishonor. And God just is able to do so much more. As we saw Jesus, where he was honored, he was able to uh, exhibit the kingdom easily. The times where it was refused and pushed back on, that dishonor caused it him to kind of, okay, we'll keep it moving. Um, and I think you, you were saying the same thing, not kind of um, not okay with the status quo, 
that's sort of like what hunger does is hunger is like we know there can be more than just this or we're not okay with just this so those are great that's a great um picture but i think it's even though it might be the standard stuff i think some of these foundational things are what we are having to revisit because although they're maybe intuitive to some people it's somehow getting lost in translation around us and we're not possessing the things that we might kind of know um yeah we, we might know it it's just somehow it's being lost in translation yeah that's right i think in terms of being hungry that's probably what's drawn me back to I'm studying, this seems funny at 62 to be saying that I'm, I'm studying scripture at a more serious level than I was before, but I am. And the same way with reading on leadership, I've been leading a while um, for decades, and yet I feel like there's so much more to learn about leadership. It's made me hungry, almost like I need to learn things for the season that I'm in now. Because uh, I don't think what I did, I think it was good, but I don't think I can repeat that. I think it's a whole new time. And what you, I liked your comment about honor because, you know, the church is focused on, at least my, my background growing up, focused on right and wrong and things like that. But the culture in the church was not that, on, not that honoring to God at a heart level and not very honoring to people. Hmm. And I think um, we've been a little bit more intentional the last uh, year or so, so about the culture that we produce and create i think we're responsible for the culture that we create around us and the way we treat people and uh you know it's embarrassing at 62 years old to realize that there's i didn't know this stuff before but even even in our reaching of the lost i think that we need to be honoring to everybody it says honor all men so i think if our gospel presentation and the way our churches um communicate to those around us, it has to be honoring of them. Oh. And in the church needs to be honoring too. The church scrapped, you, you know, historically has scrapped a lot. And, but I mean, by that, I mean, you know, fought and disagreed and, uh, man, it's too much important stuff to do to be wasting time on the things that we used to waste our time on. That's good. You know, you're talking here and I'm thinking about as we just, in a biological sense, as we grow older, um, the less we exercise um, our minds or whatever, it just, things just begin to atrophy, things begin to um, decay, you know, right. we're naturally going in that direction. But it's, I think it's the same thing spiritually, right? If we kind of sit on our rolls, if we're just kind of letting things go by and what we've learned and, and what we know has been good enough to get us where we are, um, a lot of people will just let that be what it is, you know, to put ourselves in a place of flexibility and to adapt and to relearn or to learn for the first time. It does take humility, but humility gives us the flexibility. And I believe even the longevity as a leader to continue on, you know, uh, you know, when other people are just finding themselves, you know, can may maybe in some ways find themselves in old wineskin that worked at one time but now it's it's something is new something new he wants to pour out he has to condition our minds and our hearts to be ready to receive that new thing so i really appreciate that heart to say i'm just kind of 
learn it from the Holy Spirit. It's kind of weird. It's kind of awkward, but I'm embracing the awkwardness of it all because, you know, it's, um, it's what he's asking me to do. Sometimes our learning actually includes a lot of unlearning and uh, we just have to unlearn things and we might think we have it. And particularly in a new season, I think there's new things to learn. And you, I, I, um, I, in, in, when I was a young man, I was involved quite a bit in eschatology and read all kinds of books that had predictive dates and all things like that. And then I sort of, uh, when, when the dates didn't happen, I sort of got offended and I stayed away from eschatology completely. I still don't teach a real defined eschatology, except that I think, I think leaders need to have um, a strong hope for the future. And um, we're, in a, we're in a pretty bad time right now in a lot of ways, but it's, it's temporary. I don't think the world's going to end in this. Um, I think things will change. It, it might take some time to pull out of this because of the breadth of what's happened. But I think that, um, I think our eschatology and how we look at the future does affect how we lead and what we convey to other people. And in a time of fear and anxiety, um, you know, God's a God of hope, God of all hope, and we need to be able to lead people into those things. That's good. Yeah. Well, you know, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about just uh, church-related stuff, those who are um, churches that are in the city and then outside of the city. And I was thinking about the times that we're in and, um, and how the churches in this city are a lot more affected by what's happening in the world. This is where the riots are happening. These are where the gatherings are happening. This is kind of like the the town center, if you will, where, or the gate where everything is really um, happening. So is there a way that churches that have a heart for our cities and, but happen to be outside of our cities, um, what, what, what can they do to support the churches who are on those front lines? Um, and what form does that support come in? I'm just curious as if you thought of that or if you've seen some models of how that's worked. I have seen some models. I don't know that we've done a real good job about it. Uh, it's a good question. Um, I mean, I think everywhere there's lost people, there's frontline activity. Although I will admit where I live here in a rural area, I'm, in, I'm not experiencing um, many of the things that, that the cities are experiencing right now. So maybe the first place to start for urban or suburban or rural church leaders is just to listen and to find out how we could help. I think it's uh, sometimes suburban churches have assumed that they knew what the inner city needed and that doesn't always help and I think just listening and finding out how to do it um, a lot of believers in the suburbs live sort of a peaceful selfish life by not considering what needs are there and can even turn their heart and attention away from problems just to live uh, without them um I think the church has to embrace a kingdom mentality and sad to say a lot of churches, a lot of church leaders still are fairly competitive instead of it seeing, it seeing the world as God's field and we are co-workers. We tend to think about our ministry and our church. And so 
we spend our resources and our time right where we are and don't think about um, other places. And so suburban and rural churches probably really need to take a look at that, um, how they could help an urban church, an urban movement. I mean, if we're gonna see a billion soul harvest, which I, I really believe we will, uh, it's gonna happen in the cities. And I, I mean, I go to, I go to India also. I mean, it's just, what was it? 1.3 billion people. A lot of people just on one pile. And um, strategically, missiologically, we, we have to consider the cities. And there are, I know there's complications. You know, I grew up on a farm, so I didn't really think of um, urban pastoring or urban missions until I went to, to Cuts, and I think Harvey Kahn was the one that opened my eyes to it. Um, but God has gathered people into cities, I think, for harvest. Um, I think we need mass collaboration. I grew, up in a, I grew up in the church, and we, we were always told that if everybody did their part, we could get the Great Commission completed. I don't really believe that. I don't think we can all each go our own separate ways, and I witness to my neighbors and you witness to yours. I think it will require massive collaboration, probably some intentional planning and decisions to fulfill the Great Commission. And I think there's an exponential effectiveness by collaborating, too. What that looks like, I don't know. I think, I think listening and talking is probably a good place to start. My, my father had a farm and all his brothers had farms. They were all farmers. And they had independent farms that they, they managed pretty much by themselves most of the year. They did help each other sometimes, but at harvest time, they took their, all their equipment and their hired help and their sons and daughters and we, we'd all start in one farm, and we'd do the harvest there, and then we'd move to another farm. And we had the equipment, we could have each done it independently and harvested our own areas, but we moved from one to the other, and it was a partnering for harvest. That's been sort of my model uh, up here. We still have to figure out how to implement it. Mm. Um, but it, it wasn't about each of us getting our harvest into the barn it was about the whole harvest getting it all in before the it rotted in the field or the weather got it and um practically financial help i mean the early church there was um they took offerings for the church in jerusalem um the, the christians that were there serps sending teams i know you and i've talked about teams that never happened did it i think we talked about having a team coming. yeah i think this happened the uh, covid and everything and that what it was okay yeah. i just i realized it was probably either dropped or neglected or covid happened mm -hmm. but there's got to be there got to be ways that we can do that um with our churches or even in our case our school students um but we'd probably need to find out what the needs are before we just assume that we know and that we can do that. We need to find, we, I think we need to listen probably. Yeah, I appreciate that. I think you, you're talking about the farmer, the fact that you are a farmer and just that whole situation. Sometimes we do have to borrow from other experiences to right. get an idea of what the template could look like in this given situation. As awesome as Peter was, an apostle and God was going to use him mightily, the Lord told him, your boat alone 
is not going to, your church alone is right. not going to be able, hey, share the net, get some nets and, and put them all together and gather these boats so right. we can bring in the fullness of this, of this, this fish that are, that um, I want you to bring in. And so there's, there's things that, you know, I believe the Lord will give our attention through a variety of different ways. If the church sort of doesn't have the right model at this point. And I think a lot of what's been happening is our model has been messed up. Like God has messed with the model of our services and how that looks. And, mm-hmm. and it's caused there to be this adaptability and even maybe this receptivity to new things. And, you know, I'm, I'm wondering like even questions like this, we've, there's things that we've attempted before, but are we in a prime place where we can really attempt to figure it out in a way that we've never thought about it before or tried it before. But I agree. I, I think listening is really a, a key thing. Um, you know, people don't realize like I'm, I live here, I live in, in the city, I'm hearing the bombs go off and I'm thinking they're just cherry bombs or fireworks. And cause that's usually what we're hearing. But then you find out the next day they were blowing up ATMs. And I was like, man, I was hearing that all night, yeah. you know? Uh, and, and so, and, you know, not far from me are where those riots are happening and how they're affecting the people. So I think in listening to those things, for the most part, urban churches and city churches have just, you know, we've bootstrapped it. We've made it happen. We're, we're going to, you know, together, we're just going to work with what we have. However, you know, in times of war, there was times where the resources that were there at the front line would sort of like, go, go low. And so they had to have a supply line elsewhere that they would be able to call on that would be able to bring back the additional support so that they can effectively move forward with the proper resources they needed to move forward. And so I think when you get the good combination of, you know, urban churches, city churches, and uh, rural churches that have a heart for the city, then they're not either. Both of them have something to offer one another, I believe. Um, but I believe there's also a, a potential supply line uh, in whatever way that looks as they're listening, they'll discover that, that brings it in so that they can continue to advance yeah. and, and be those frontline ministries for the harvest. And here's the thing, when, when that place that you support it wins, everybody wins. Yeah. <laughs> you know, everything behind, everybody can uh, contribute it to that harvest that's not just that particular place's harvest that's everybody everybody who brought their boat in and brought their nets together to make it happen yeah whether it's fishing or farming or an army uh, metaphor it it it, it all re- does require cooperation and some strategy and communication i mean there were people that didn't understand why my dad would leave his harvest standing and go help my brother get his in uh, but you know what? All, all four farms had to harvest in usually by the time or maybe even before the time that the individual farmers had theirs in. And we had a lot of fun doing it. And when there was problems, we could solve them together. We had we loaned our equipment and our resources to each other, and then it was reciprocal. So to me, that's, that's, that's my paradigm for harvest. Mm. And... Um, I don't know if you talked with J.C. Alzamora lately. I know you know J.C., but he's he's moving in Lancaster City, not not as big a city as Philadelphia. I know that. Mm-hmm. I didn't know you were in Huntington Park. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's right. Uh, that neighborhood is where I went to school for years. 
did yep. some evangelism there and, and uh, plenty of schools, classes. But JC's moving in there just to, to reach uh, people in the city. And we have to. I, I thought I'd be in Philadelphia, the outpouring of the spirit, and then our church planting, I ended up with this being my base. Uh, a couple of years ago, I just about, I, I was toying with coming to Philadelphia area to plant a church, but if there's a way that we could help you, I can't promise whatever you'd ask, but if there's a way we can help you, I would. That's awesome. Philadelphia is important to me and, and uh, to the nation, really. Wow. Yeah. I think the support, the prayers, the things that you're saying and, and giving are exactly what we need. All of us need, you know, in that, in that farmer situation, I want to say this is because you guys were family, right? it was, it was something you just embraced. Right. And the people from the outside that were looking at that most likely they couldn't fathom that because they didn't have family that they were working with. But I think there's a key in there that family that's just part of what it looks like to be family. And as we see the, our family in God, our, our, our family that might have this farm over here or this field over here, but that we would say, but it's about the harvest. It's right. about the bigger picture here. And we all need each other. So this is where we're going to give our energies to. And then when it's your turn, that's where we're moving. We're giving our energy over there. And I love it. It, it. it accelerates things, is what you said. It's like, man, we were pretty much done before everybody else was when they were just focusing on their stuff. I feel like that accelerates. You, it almost makes me like, what, how would it accelerate if we were able to do this? How would we accelerate that coming of Christ? Because there's a sense where we need to be able to be together if the world's going to know. Right. Well, I think the end comes when, we're, when we've completely covered the earth with the announcement of the kingdom and brought the kingdom and healing and deliverance and uh, all those things. Um, yeah, just lost my train of thought. This was a great conversation. We're just kind of like conversating here. I, I'm interested with this last question is that, is there anything in particular God has been speaking to you? The Holy Spirit has been sharing with you in any type of way that might be beneficial to those who are listening? I, I can tell you what's on my what's what's on my mind and what's getting me up in the morning right now, and it's probably different for every leader because you have a different context and different calling. But um, the idea of multiplying disciples and multiplying churches, because I feel that there is a mass massive harvest coming, um, I just felt like I should give myself to to helping to multiply churches, plant, strengthen existing churches. Because there are some existing churches that God wants to turn into just a um, apostolic resource church to its area where God will bring five-fold ministries and resources and then multiply out from there. But I'm, I'm back reading church growth books and church uh, planting books, I, something I did in the 70s. And um, i like to see how many churches we could plant mm. in the next 10, 15 years. Again, that's probably probably connected to my call, but I think we're going to need them. Um, I mean, I'm, in, I'm I'm excited about Czech Republic, the biggest, I mean, the the most atheist nation on the earth, and yet uh, there's a few churches there that are actually starting to plant other churches, and it's happening in probably what is considered the hardest place in Europe. Mm. Uh, same way in the U.S., we need more. We need more churches. There are churches that. 
I think there's, hmm, I heard figures of like 4,000 some that close every year and only 1,000 that are planted. So we're losing a, a number of churches. I know there's mega churches happening. Oftentimes that's a reshuffling of uh, existing people, but I think we need, we need new churches, a lot of new churches to reach people with maybe a little bit of a different vision and method than what we've had the last hundred, we've had the last hundred years, hundred years. Well, it goes back into the whole conditioning thing we talked about in the beginning, like conditioning ourselves as leaders and then conditioning atmospheres for revival. And then without knowing it, you know, what you share is like, man, how do we begin to condition the earth for, you know, all of those things that you mentioned, healthy, positive and revival type of change? Because when we plant churches, we are seeding the soil of our cities and of the world um, with you know, places that are dispatched the kingdom, you know, places where people are cultivating that kind of culture and then going out in droves. And uh, like you said, I mean, there might have been some things where uh, some, there's a closing down, but if there's going to be uh, a resurgence, there's going to have to be a replanting. Right. And so we're going to have to be planting in places and really cultivating things and uh, I like what you said that there's needs to be maybe different thinking about how we even do that. And um, I think those who are looking to church plant are embracing that reality that things might not just have to look the same um, because of the particular field harvest or fish that they're going for right. different tackle, different, all this stuff, um, different approach to it all. But the, the purpose and the message that never changes. So that's great. Well, we'll, we'll need, we'll need more churches and we need um, some strategic thinkers that, that are builders. I mean, if, if I had my way, I would just love uh, living in meetings with the presence of God and the glory all the time. But I remember years ago going to um, Argentina in the height of their outpouring. And I talked to one pastor who had, at the beginning, he had about 140 people, and then they had an Anaconda crusade, and the church in like a year and a half, the count of people went up to like, four, I think it was 40,000, something. I found it hard to believe. Mm -hmm. A couple of years after that, it didn't exist anymore. Mm -hmm. and he said the people found their way into other churches, but they just had no way to care for people. They had no, he didn't have any like small groups or anything. So some of the boring nuts and bolts of planting and building churches, I think, will become very important when we have a lot of people coming. And uh, I think we'll get there. Yeah. And with the heart of discipleship and the heart for the harvest, man, putting those things together and doing that well in our current situation and generation. Um, yeah, it's the sky's the limit. Barry, so good to have you here on this Real Talk with Real Leaders. And man, this was probably the most conversational uh, time I've had with people. And that's just your flow and style, but it was just profound wisdom that just comes from you. And I believe helped a lot of people uh, as they were listening into this conversation. Well, I hope so. I certainly enjoyed it. Even you and I had a good chat. So at least we know we accomplished that. <laughs> talking to you again, Jamie. Exactly. Appreciate you and have a wonderful day. Thank you.